Welcome to the Working Women's Channel. My name is Clara Capano, and we're gonna share the real secrets to success. Come on in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Working Women channel. I am your host, Clara Capano, and we are joined today by a fabulous friend of mine. This is Amanda Kustra, and I know I pronounced that incorrectly, so you can correct it when you tell a little bit about you. And, you know, we met a few months ago in our networking group, Success Champions, and the moment that I talked with you, I knew I had to get you on the show because you have some amazing things that are really going to help other women, you know, just be able to, again, find that harmony between their personal and professional lives. So Amanda, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about you. Thank you so much for having me, Clara. I am Amanda Costura. I am a clinical social worker by trade, and I am a nonprofit founder. So I founded Carve Your Own Path in uh, 2018. We're coming up on five years here in November. Super excited about that. Uh, so thank you. I'm really excited to be here. And the more and more I network and talk to other folks, especially women, I've, I've learned that we've all had this pivotal moment in our life where... Uh, we were bogged down and brought to our knees and something had to give. And uh, I'm so glad to be among people that thrived from that because they weren't willing to forego their passions. Exactly. And also shared it because I think so many of us suffer in silence. And I think more and more people are starting to, you know, embrace those struggles as a way to help others minimize their struggles or understand that they're not so alone. So with that said, Tell us about that moment for you, because we know the road to success is not always paved in gold, and oftentimes it's the biggest failures that lead to the success. So when was there a time in your life where maybe you were struggling and had your pivotal moment? Yeah, there's been several, um, but one that really got me propelled on this journey forward was about, well, a little over five years ago, um, I thought I had finally arrived, right? I got my undergrad, I got my master's degree, I was working in the field, I was, you know, out there helping people and saving the world like most social workers think that they're going to do. And then reality hits you, which yep. is um, uh, programs and policies and legislation and productivity and all sorts of things. And I found myself in a work environment that was not conducive to my own health or the health of the people that we were trying to support with their mental health. It, I you know, was working back-to-back -back appointments, not having time to even get up to go to the bathroom in between, let alone eat or even process what just happened in the traumatic session beforehand with that former client before going on to another one and then running a three-hour group and Right. And then just every day, just exhausted and bogged down and overwhelmed and 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 having this anxiety because, oh, my gosh, there's these deadlines and I haven't done my notes, but I don't have time to do the notes because I have another session and I have to have another session because the productivity requirement. Right. And it was just depleting and debilitating. And I also felt so unfulfilled because I had I, I knew I went to school and I had also I'm very a nerd. I love to learn. So like I had done the research and the education and continued to read and understood truly what it meant to engage with mental health with someone and help them heal. And we weren't doing it. It was very much band-aids, 
and cookie cutter and it was not individualized to the individual person and their background and every all the unique things about yeah. them so isn't that interesting um, i don't mean to cut you off but isn't yeah. it interesting how even though logically we know these things and again you had training in this and your whole industry and profession was geared at helping people over this yet in your own backyard it was completely non-existent it's very fascinating yeah. mm-hmm. and did you on and some it's level yeah. And did you on some level also just sort of think this is just the way it's supposed to be? I know that when I went through my big burnout, part of me was like, everybody's working hard. This is just part of what it means to get to success. Yeah. There's kind of that compare and despair game of like, oh, maybe I'm just not doing enough. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. Maybe I don't want this hard enough. Right. And then it was when I started to kind of push back against that and say, hey, like, I think we need to space out these appointments or, or maybe reduce productivity in this way or or kind of just like humanize mm-hmm. experience and, and getting um, gaslit, I guess, in a clinical term of like, no, you know, you're not that I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Everyone around us is falling down. And yet somehow you're still profiting and moving forward and you don't have a care about those individual people. Yeah. Just moving to you. And let's talk about that because one, you know, it took a lot of probably, you know, courage for you to be able to be the one to stand up and say, hey, this this really isn't working, you know, and again, it sounds like you were met with objections on it and people telling you. So tell me a little bit about that on how it was when you were, you know, trying to speak up and trying to make change, because I think so many times, regardless of where we're working, Sometimes either we're afraid to speak up because exactly like this. So how did how did you handle that when you did go to speak up and you basically were pushed back down? Yeah. And I do want to just and I touched on this a couple of times in my story is recognize my privilege. You know, even though I am a woman and we do have you know, we are disenfranchised in many ways and oppressed in many ways. I'm a white woman. I'm a hetero white woman. So I had very much privilege to be able to speak up in that level. Right. Um, where some of the folks that that were working alongside me didn't have that. And so once I got into leadership and supervisory positions, I really used that advocate advocate voice that I was trained to have as a social worker and say, I have a code of ethics and what you're asking me to do doesn't align with that. This is unethical. Um, And I would just refuse to do it, (laughs) Um, knowing again that I had the privilege at home of having a dual income household that would be fine if I needed to transition and get another job for a while if I was fired for sticking up, right? And also I would go then back to my my crew and say, hey, I know this doesn't make sense. I'm so sorry. I tried to advocate. I'm going to keep advocating. However, this is what we have to do right now. And I will support you the best way I can, you know, given that. So I was always extremely transparent, which is something that's also missing from businesses and organizations is that everything that happens at the top happens at the top. And the people that are in the front lines and the trenches do what they're supposed to do. And there's like no communication between the two. Yeah. And yet we're supposed to have a commitment to that. Right. Right. And I appreciate so much about what you're talking about by, you know, the privilege that you had. You know, there's so many people out there who don't have that privilege. If you were to rewind it and let's say you didn't have that dual income at home, do you think that would have changed the way that you spoke up? Do you think maybe you wouldn't have spoke up? And also, you know, speaking to some of the the women who are going to be watching this and maybe even some men, you know, what are some of the steps to take in speaking up and advocating that would be more productive? Because you could certainly speak up and not have it be heard. And we want to make sure that we're doing it in a productive manner. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, um, thankfully, again, a privilege thing, my license, I went and got independent license. I worked very hard for that. So my license is well sought and very needed. Um, so I didn't ever really feel that it couldn't very quickly get another job. Whereas for someone that's dependently licensed or doesn't have a license at all, or maybe there's more scarcity in that profession for them, um, they might not have access to that. So yeah, I might not have spoke up as much, or it might've been just a little you know, whispers here between other supervisors as camaraderie, just to have support. I don't think that I would have been able to fully embody what I wanted to in speaking up for my clients, for my colleagues, for my supervisees. And then your second question about how to do that effectively, which I actually still, as I supervise upcoming social workers, I have to teach them how to do this skill. And so um, always, I always try to cite um, a legit source, right? So there would be emails that I would send and I would say, hi, I saw that you asked me to sign this and put this diagnosis on here. However, for my code of ethics, per the diagnostic criteria, I know this is like very niche for my profession, but always citing something whether it's a, a governing body or an ethical body or uh, laws, um, legal thing. Like there was even things where I was like, ORC, like, you know, our high office code says blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I would CC, um, depending, like if I was emailing my supervisor, because that was a thing for a while, then I would CC HR or I would, um, and then I always be CC'd myself on a private email, like my personal email, just to have those records for later. Um, but yeah, always like being able to, to cite it back to something factual or ethical or something like that against your industry standards. Um, and always just be trying to be as objective as I possibly could, even if it wasn't related to that, like, you know, in our previous meeting on 314, you had mentioned this, right? And just trying to take the emotion out of it. If you're feeling emotional, you might need to step back and give yourself a day and go find a really great support group and right. hash it out and then maybe reply again the next day. Yeah. One of the things that I always try to do, too, is I try to, you know, role play a conversation like that with somebody else, because I find for me that when I speak it out loud, it really helps me to to fine tune it so that I can be, again, coming from a, a place of perspective that makes more sense and not just emotional. Um, another question I want to ask you is, you know, so many of us deal with some sort of toxicity. And it, again, it could be in the workplace at our job. It could be if we are more of an independent contractor, we might have a client that is toxic. We may have a personal relationship. And, you know, I would love to get your take on why do you think people stay in toxic relationships, business or professional? Oh, it's such a loaded question, Clara. My <laughs> clinical brain goes so many directions. Um, there's so many different factors. We're all unique. Um, I think privilege or lack of privilege, I guess, is one of them, right? For many people I was working alongside, they were using the government assistance benefits that our clients were also using, right? Like they're getting childcare assistance, they're getting okay. food assistance, right? So like, I can't speak up and potentially lose my job or get a discipline right. that could lead to losing my job, right? Um, and I don't feel like I have any other options and I don't have the money to go back for a degree. Um, you know, I don't have family to watch my child at different hours. So I think privilege comes a lot into it. Um, lack of support. My support system was the biggest thing, right? Like, again, I had a dual income household where that was the financial support was there, but then also my friends, my family, I had people that I could release to and they came with love and support regardless of what I said or what I had going on and I knew that they would be there for me through the entire journey so that was crucial for me as well 
yeah, I think people stay, there's a few, like they don't have a ability to leave for whatever that reason is. They sometimes want acceptance mm -hmm. and comfort and connection and relationships, even though they're not healthy. And if you grew up in an unhealthy household, that just plays out even more as feeling quote unquote normal. And also I think people stay and I see people stay and I stayed for as long as I did because they think they can make a change. Yeah. And it's, it's so wonderful of a, uh, uh, I can't think of the word right now, but like, it's a, it's a valiant effort. Yes. And then at some point after you've put in all of that effort and you're depleting yourself, you have to make that decision of, is it worth it? Am I going to be able to make the change or am I going to die along the way? Right. And then it not even matter that I tried to make that change. Yeah. So I have three questions that I really want to ask you around this, because again, I think so many people are dealing with this on varying levels. The first question I want to ask you is if somebody is in a position where they don't feel they can leave more from an economic standpoint, again, they're getting some sort of an assistance or they don't have a significant other or family to fall back on. What would be some starting steps to know that maybe they can't leave, but at the same time, they have to take care of themselves? How would you advise somebody if they really were not able to leave right now? Yeah, I think it's it can be so um, limiting in our perspective and we can feel like we have no choice, especially when you have limited options, right? Mm -hmm. However, the resources out there galore, right? Since I started networking with mm -hmm. our networking group, I've learned there are people out there in the world that genuinely want to help you. When you share your dream, your vision, your passion, why you went into what you're doing to begin with, when you share that story, people will come alongside you and want to support you. They will open doors for you. They will share resources with you. They will let you know, hey, did you know there's a scholarship available? You can go back and get your medical billing and coding certification. Hey, yeah, I'll watch your kid while you go to class, right? So the first thing is like getting humble enough to just share with yeah. safe people. The other thing I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be a great therapist if I didn't say if it's accessible to you, get yourself a therapist because yeah. the emotional toll of that, um, you need someone to sort that out with that's trained to do that and help you figure out where to go with that. And also they can help you manage your emotions with skills. So you're not being reactive mm -hmm. in the workplace and making it an even more less and I don't want to say enjoyable because sometimes it's not enjoyable at all, but even just a more toxic environment. Right. Exactly. Great. I love that. Now, the second question I have, and you touched on this a little bit, I see this a lot and I work with a lot of small business owners. I work with a lot of, you know, independent contractors. So for them, it's many times they'll hang on to a client that is somewhat abusive because they're like, I already have so much time invested, or this is the only client I have right now. I can't let them go. What mm -hmm. I try to get them to do is to try to weigh the cost of that toxicity. And I would love to hear what are your thoughts? What are some of the costs that people need to understand? Because we might be looking at the paycheck, but we're not looking at what that paycheck is really going to cost us in the long run. So what are some of the biggest costs you see of staying in a toxic environment? Yeah. I So when I do this with people, I do um, a decisional balance where we talk about short-term and long-term consequences related to the, like making a change or not making a change. And oftentimes the reason that you're staying is short-term benefit, mm -hmm. right? Like I get the paycheck, you know, I get the, um, you know, I know the people, uh, I don't have to deal with interviewing, right? Those are all short-term things that over time will change. 
versus the long-term consequences. And I am very upfront. And, and this is kind of like a compassionate confrontation that I do with many of my clients is I understand that you've been in this relationship for 30 years and that's all you know. And it's really scary to try to do something different. However, I'm extremely concerned about your health. What I know about the stress disease connection is that if we don't manage stress, it's going to end up in a physical health condition. And you've already demonstrated that with these mental health symptoms you're telling me about, the panic attacks, the insomnia, the headaches, the restless leg, right? Those are all manifesting and they're going to become a chronic health condition if we don't do something different. Yeah. I know that from personal experience. Mm -hmm. And I also know that from working with many clients that have now chronic health conditions because of unmanaged stress. So I kind of like, I don't want to scare you, but I just want to make sure that you understand the information and under, because we don't teach this in society, right? No one's telling you that if we don't know how to regulate our bodies and our emotions, that that can turn into diabetes or cancer later down the road. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that is, you know, so smart. You have to look at the bigger picture. And I know every time for me that I have fired a client, honestly, sometimes they fired me because they could tell on the other end too. It was so freeing. And I would love to ask you, you know, what did you see happen to you when you let go of this and stepped into something new? Yeah. So I love sharing this story because I got to the point where, um, I was coming home every day and I was just miserable. I was using, I ended up with that fibromyalgia. So I was in chronic pain constantly flaring all the time and had a bunch of co-occurring conditions going on with that. And I was also having really scary, active suicidal thoughts. I had always had like passive fleeting thoughts, right? We typically get those throughout life. We don't talk about it enough, but those are normal to have fleeting. <laughs> um, but they were very pervasive and very active. And that was terrifying to me. So I told um, my, <laughs> we'd only been together two months at the time, my now husband, I was telling him, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die. Like one or the other, my physical, my mental health, I'm not going to make it. And he was like, quit your job. I have, you know, it, I can pay the bills until you get another one, you'll get one. And I was raised by a single parent, right? I'm not taking care of by anyone. I always maintain my own finances. I have my own job. So I laughed at him, right? The next day I went and sat at that desk and I don't know how to describe it to you, Clara, other than a knowing just came over me and I was like, no, mm -hmm. we can't do this anymore. And so I sent the email and uh, there was my 30 day notice. And that moment that I hit send, I just felt the largest weight lift off my shoulders. I felt so liberated. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. Right. I didn't know where I was going to work or what that meant for me next, but I just felt free. And then speaking of about advocating for yourself, it was I didn't care anymore what anyone thought. Again, mm -hmm. I had that privilege. But at this point, I was just like, nope, I'm not signing that. Nope, I'm not doing that. Absolutely not. I'm not doing that because I already knew I was out the door. So yeah, it was the most freeing thing I ever done. And it opened up room for so much more, right? It opened right. up the room for me to dream and vision about what our nonprofit could look like because I didn't, I was so bogged down physically and mentally, I couldn't even imagine having my own thing at any point. Yeah, exactly. And I found something similar. You know, I was, I was staying more because, you know, it was safe. Again, I was single at the time. Yeah, well, I'm still single now, but, you know, it was safe. I did want to, you know, feel like I could change, you know, things to doing. And I had so many of those same health issues. I remember, you know, driving to work every day, just crying, you know, and doing that again, looking at the clock. Is it time to go home now? Um, and there was even one time where I remember just thinking, God, I wish I could just get into an accident and put myself in the hospital for a couple of days because I was just so exhausted. And, you know, again, all of those things. And, you know, what I what I really love most about what you talked about is 
If you are in a position where you don't have the luxury of leaving, seek out support because you just never know. In my opinion, there always is a way. Maybe not today. It might be a six month. It might be an 18 month plan. But even knowing that you're working on that plan gives you that sense of hope and freedom that you're working towards something bigger. I remember when um, I was in my first marriage, I was in a horrible, horrible work environment, but I knew I was moving. And even just having the calendar and, and just checking off those days, knowing that I was, you know, one day closer. So I think, again, really making sure if you're not in a position, again, don't be afraid to talk to someone because one, they might be able to give you tools like you talked about to help you deal with it on a day-to-day basis, but there could be so many other resources. And for me, one of the resources that came to me is somebody actually creating a position for me in their company to say, you know what, with your skill sets, this actually fits. And so that was a stepping stone. And then that was a stepping stone to something else. And again, it was just by talking with someone and sharing. So, you know, I really think that you have you know brought so much value in talking about these, you know, be humble enough to ask for help, you know, listen to the signs, look at the bigger picture. It's not just about today. It's about, again, your health, your well-being and how that can trickle into so many other areas. So, you know, I know that for you, you know, you're doing so many great things in the nonprofit world. And I know that you're also working on, you know, other things in your world. So tell us, you know, what's next for Amanda? Yeah. Oh, man, we have just been cruising here. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're going through a whole rebrand right now. We just uh, released our new logo and we're switching website domains in the next month. So that's exciting. Um, We're doing a lot of community work. So we actually we're doing a whole um, a whole schedule of series of speakers, um, speaking of speakers, um, <laughs> on panels and covering all the dimensions of wellness. So when you think wellness, you might think physical health and mental health, but there are so much more to that. This morning, we just finished a beautiful environmental wellness panel. Mm-hmm. And in May, we will have a social wellness panel. Um, so those are all on our website. It's carvemypath.org uh, slash book dash online. And you can see the whole calendar of events that we have going on. We have a really cool inner child workshop coming up that's virtual, help you heal your inner child. Again, when you're in these toxic workplaces and you feel like, oh, I got an adult every day and I got to pay my bills. Like, how tense are you and how angry and discouraged are you? Come just play with us and learn to tap into that curiosity a little bit. I love that. Fantastic. Well, we have covered so much today. Again, really talking about the awareness and the you know, importance of identifying if you are in a toxic environment and more importantly, learning the power of advocating to yourself as we get ready to close everything out. um, If you had one last message that you wanted to leave our audience with, what would it be, Amanda? Listen to your body. Listen to your body. We get so heady in our current society with technology and appointments and being productive and our body just kind of trails behind our our head, right? Um, But they're all connected. And so listen to your body, tune in. And if you feel like something's off and a provider or professional practitioner isn't making you feel heard, go get a second opinion or third or fourth or fifth or a tenth. Exactly. Uh, Keep looking. Yes, you know your body better than anyone else. So please be your own best advocate. I understand it's scary at times, um, but please do. 
Love it. Fantastic. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your story, your, you know, your insight with all of us. And I know that there are so many wonderful takeaways and it's really going to help so many people out there again, learn how to step up and learn how to speak up for themselves. So thanks for helping us learn how to get out of our head and to tune into our bodies. And to all of you following us, thank you so much for being here for another episode of the Working Women channel. Um, Remember to like, follow, give us a five-star rating, and keep listening for more tips to helping you create success all on your terms. I'm your host, Clara Capano, and until next time.